I'm Corey Astle. And I'm Kyle Simon. Welcome to Conservative Minds, a podcast about conservative ideas and thinkers. We explore what it means to call yourself a conservative, where conservatism has been, and where it's going. Each week, we select readings and conduct a discussion to share with you our investigation. Join the conversation by liking us on Facebook or following us on Twitter at Consminds, at C-O-N-S-M-I-N-D-S. For episode 90, we read The Tyranny of Merit by Michael Sandel, published in 2020. Michael Sandel was born in 1953 in Minneapolis. He earned a BA from Brandeis University and a doctorate from Balliol College, Oxford in 1981 as a Rhodes Scholar. He joined the faculty at Harvard that same year and is currently the professor of government theory at Harvard Law School. He's the author of eight books, the most recent of which is this one. He also served on President George W. Bush's Council on Bioethics. So this book, this is this is sort of our one, one of our series of uh, cons minds from the left. Um, although it's with philosophers, it's always hard to exactly pin them down, um, left or right. That's, you know, cause sometimes they're talking about different questions than the rest of us. But what, what Sandel's talking about here is meritocracy and, you know, what is it, what does it mean? Is it morally better or more just than what came before it? Is it an answer to the problem of who should lead a society and who shouldn't and who should have the best jobs and who shouldn't best schools and who shouldn't and he raises some interesting questions and i I think part of the sort of uh the the meritocracy seems to be so built into just american culture american political philosophy that it's hard sometimes to step outside of it because we we all and you see this democrats and republicans both like this message of if you work hard and you do well you can get ahead if you live live a good life get ahead and you can have success. And that is a good message, and it's often true. Um, I think what, what, what Sandel's talking about here is, is that, does that make for a more just society than the old system, which like was somewhat prevalent here, but really prevalent in the old world, where it was just, you know, your, your station at birth, aristocracy versus the peasantry, you know, where we, and he says, I, I think what he gets to in some of the early chapters is that these are both things that we can't control. You know, whether you have what family you're born into obviously is beyond your control. And you know, that the injustice of aristocracy is apparent on its face. You know, it's, it's, it's very clear that nobody did anything to deserve to be born into such a social class or what have you. But with meritocracy, because it does allow people often, or he says less often than it used to, to, uh, to move between social classes. It seems more like something that's based on a, on a more just system, but he's saying, you know, you're the kind of brain you're born with and the kind of, even the kind of work ethic you're born with. And I, I, I think he maybe thinks that's more inborn than, than maybe you or I do, Corey, I don't know, but he, he, he seems to think that these are, you know, sorting ourselves out based on how well you do in school and what industry you get into is not inherently more just than sorting yourself out on where where you're born and it it for something that's such a big part of of uh, america and 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 liberalism in the west in general it's 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 interesting to consider some of the questions he raises about it yeah absolutely so he uses he uses kind of like like that common example that i think all of us kind of understand 
He says, uh, this is about getting into college. Students should be admitted to college based on their own abilities and talents, not based on factors beyond their control. That's kind of how, that's the common understanding of how, let's say, college admissions should work. All agree, in other words, that admissions should be based on merit. They also agree, implicitly at least, that those who get, get in based on merit have earned their admission and therefore deserve the benefits that flow from it. And he's going to question every one of those premises as part of this book. Both, uh, he's, he's going to question whether uh, the, 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 the entire concept of factors beyond your control. He's going to question what is merit exactly. And he's going to question uh, how much you deserve as a relate with a, as a relationship to, you know, what you've achieved. So he says our, our public debates are not about meritocracy itself, but about how to achieve it these days, because both sides have basically agreed that merit is, is the way to go. And, uh, you know, I think for, for me, at least, I, th- I think when I read that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you have some, you have some, uh, some arguing to do because that's where, that's where I come from. Mm-hmm. He says conservatives argue that affirmative action policies amount to a betrayal of merit. And uh, while liberals, on the other hand, defend affirmative action as a way of remedying persisting unfairness and argue that a true meritocracy can be achieved only by leveling the playing field between the privileged and the disadvantaged. And he's going to question every one of those uh, premises and arguments, which I, which I kind of found interesting because, as you said, this is an author who's coming from the left. He's, he's clearly liberal. But I think he's he's coming at this problem from a different angle than than uh, liberals typically do, and, and he's going to address that. So uh, he's incredibly critical of the technocratic way of approaching the world, and it's kind of like he views conservatives as as having a a, a false sense of pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but on the left they also are enamored with uh, meritocracy and merit. It's just that theirs comes in a, the flavor on the left is more like technocratic. He calls that a technocratic faith in, in merit and in markets in particular. He's very critical of markets. He will be throughout this entire thing. His main question is, is having or lacking certain talents really our own doing? If not, it's hard to see why those who rise, thanks to their talents, deserve greater rewards than those who may be equally hardworking, but less endowed with the gifts a market society happens to prize. So in his mind, these two things go together, meritocracy and free markets, because it's in the free market that you're really able to exercise your merit. Because prior to in, in prior days, if you're in a feudal society or whatever, aristocracy, then these decisions of who rises in the society and who doesn't is based on lineage and uh, heritage, family lines, who, who's your, who's your father and your grandfather sort of thing. But in a meritocratic society, I mean, in a, in a market-based society, then it, it's sort of who has the skills that are demanded by the market and so these days, he uses the example of uh, LeBron James. LeBron, a famous basketball player, incredibly talented athlete, uh, certainly on the on the short list of all time greatest basketball players. And the question is, how much of his accomplishments 
are due to he himself personally versus the gifts he was endowed with. And this is a this is a kind of a tricky debate because I think in our intuitions would lead us to say, well, I'm sure he worked really hard, even though he is mm-hmm. a freak of nature in terms of like his size and speed. Yeah. <laughs> and Sandel would say, yeah, exactly. He's a freak of nature because of his size, because of his speed and his talent and his strength. And uh, none of those things did he come by. It's it, he 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 also kind of ties this into the old um, theological debate over faith versus works, which was the one of the major controversies that led to the Protestant Reformation. And it's you know what we're talking about now about merit was similar to what Christians in those eras were talking about uh, about how salvation's attained. You know, was it through free will? You know, because I followed God's laws and I didn't sin and I, I did all these good works here on earth that I'm going to earn my salvation. And a lot of some early churchmen and also later in the Protestant Reformation, uh, Luther and others sort of said, well, doesn't that mean that God's bound by our rules? Like that doesn't make sense. Whether you're saved is really up to him. And, you know, you should follow the law anyway, but you know, it's, it's his grace alone that gets you into heaven. And that's sort of the, that, that debate is still going on. I mean, Catholics are on one side and Protestants are on the other of that. But it's hard. And, and he, he goes through how this sort of, even in the, the parts of European society that accepted the Protestant argument, it's hard to keep that up because people want to draw the connection between I did good, I deserve reward. That's that's how we've that's how humans see things. That's how we've always seen things. Even if that doesn't make sense theologically, it's how, it's how we want to organize our lives. And and there was he goes through a whole chapter. I don't want to get into all the theology because uh, we're we're not really qualified to go into deep theology here. But it's a uh, it's an interesting precursor to the same argument kind of happening here, except instead of salvation, it's secular success, you know, earthly successes. And it's it it's the same sort of and he, you know he draws that straight line all the way to. Uh, it takes a village, and you didn't build that, and the sort of things that were slogans uh, on the left that, that we on the right didn't want to hear, you know. And he's, he's saying that, you know, I mean, he talks about that you didn't build that thing, and that's when Obama was campaigning for re-election in 2012. He, he talked about how you know you start in the business, well, you know, you so many people came before you to you know help educate you and do all this, and what he's making the point is we all live in a community, right? So. You have merit in that you worked hard and tried to succeed, but nothing is done on our own. The way he said it sounded sort of like nothing is on our own. And that's something that we're, I think most people would reject. I mean, some part of individual success is usually attributable to some sort of hard work, but it's this fight that's still going on. And it's, we want to feel in control of our destinies. That's why meritocracy is very soothing. Just like free will as a theological concept is soothing because you're saying if I just do right, then everything's going to be okay. You know, if I do, if I play by the rules, if I follow what's in this book or what's in this law or whatever, everything's going to turn out all right because that's the way that's the way justice works in the world. Of course, we know that's not always true, and it might be true for divine justice in the hereafter. But you know, here on the sort of uh, fallen world we inhabit, sometimes people do work hard and it doesn't work out. Sometimes people luck into stuff how much of that exists and how much of the traditional work hard, get ahead, 
do better. Uh, the 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 more inspiring story exists. I mean, I it's hard to measure. He he, stu- he you know it's hard to measure which is more common and which is you know the actual story of America. I mean, they for individuals, it's one or the other or a combination of both. He he quotes a lot of studies about social mobility and how it's lessened as compared to what it was and how the the meritocracy has just sort of built a new elite that is hardening into an aristocracy that's you know more racially diverse and religiously diverse but it has something in common the way the old the old ones had in common ancestry and private schools and clubs the new one has elite college education and wall street silicon valley mckinsey type jobs that all sort of trade back and forth and make for a, a uh, uh, an upper crust of society that's hardening just as much as that which it was meant to replace. Mm-hmm. And he thinks there's so many people in the world who work just as hard as those who are successful. And back to the LeBron James example, LeBron works very hard and pro- and I'm sure would say, I earned my my success through through my hard work. And I think what Sandel would say is, there's a lot of people working really hard out there and they don't achieve that same level of success because they don't have the, the, he says, uh, there are those who are out there equally hardworking, but less endowed with the gifts a market society happens to prize, which is another you know key that he is really interested in. The fact that again, back to LeBron 200 years ago, LeBron's talents would have been worth nothing. Mm-hmm. And now they're worth hundreds of millions. Right. And, uh, and he says, uh, among the winners, the the talent game, it generates hubris among the winners because they start to think that they deserve everything that they get. And he's going to argue that they don't. And among the losers, this is the this is another key point. Among the losers, it creates humiliation and resentment because it's one thing to be a pauper, you know, to be part of the 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 masses of of poor, you know, kind of wretched proletariat when the ruling class is an aristocracy based on family because you're kind of like well i there's nothing i can do about that mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's a little bit different to say actually everyone's accomplishments are based on merit and i accomplished and you didn't so i'm meritorious and you're a loser and uh what what sandel's going to argue here is that Actually, that has been a driving cause of the populist uprising in the U.S. and Europe. He says it's a backlash directed against the elites, um, and in particular, those not just not just rightly, you know, those on the right would say maybe be more interested in merit as a principle, but even on the left. Um, their response is more education. You know, what we need to do is everybody has uh, has an opportunity, but some take advantage of it and some don't. So what we need to do is uh, make sure that everyone has that, uh, that opportunity to go to school starting in kindergarten and then move that through the uh, uh, four-year degrees and, and graduate degrees. And as long as everyone has access, then... And not not just uh, not just access like Republic or uh, conservatives would would view it, but actual access where um, 
the the government steps in to make sure that you can get into college as well, then it really is. Then even on the left, they view it as your merit uh, carrying you as far as you can go. And uh, Sandel's going to argue that that's actually not even true, because some people have the ability to go to college and do really well, and others, it just turns out they don't. And what he's worried about is those folks who, who are going to feel like they are the losers, feel that humiliation of, actually, it's just me. If you buy into the, to the ethos of uh, meritocracy and you're on the losing end, you can't just say, oh, well, you know, I'm not in that family and so there's nothing I can do about it. I wish my dad was a, a duke. No, what you have to say is like, I guess it's just me as a failure. I just can't do it. You know, <laughs> I'm incapable of it. And Sendell has, uh, has tremendous and, um, empathy for those folks thinking like, actually, there's a lot more that's out of their hands because talent is not distributed evenly. Right. He looks at some of the I mean, two very different uh, thinkers about the nature of a liberal democracy. Uh, uh, Hayek, who we, we read his book a couple seasons ago, um, and also John Rawls, who we should probably read at some point. Uh, and they're both very different, but they both, in discussing this concept, talk about the idea that what you get in the market isn't really a measure of virtue. It's just a measure of what markets will pay. But it's it's inevitable and, and that people see what the market rewards and see that as somehow virtuous. And maybe we shouldn't. You know, he, he, he talks about uh, the TV show Breaking Bad, about how a chemistry teacher discovered he could make a lot more money uh, cooking meth. And he's saying no one would say that meth is more valuable valuable to society than science education. And yet, and it, the money's there. And it's not just because it's an illegal versus legal trade. You know, people will pay money for stuff that is bad for you or worthless or stupid. And just like we pay a ton of money to pro athletes because they entertain us and we are willing to pay for tickets and pay for subscriptions to cable TV and, and merchandise. At, and, you know, to compare, again, the old versus the new, the aristocracy versus the meritocracy. In the aristocracy, the guy at the top usually knew at some level that he didn't deserve what he had. You know, he, he was glad he had it and he wasn't giving it up. But he knew that it was because his great-great-great-grandfather came over with William the Conqueror, not because, you know, he was so bright and clever and brave and virtuous. So there was a humility there, uh, or there at least has the potential for humility. And that humility makes us treat people who were less successful better, or it should, or it could anyway. I don't know that the old English landlords were really treating their peasants all that well, but they at least, uh, at least there's that possibility. And even, you know, in more recent history, maybe when you get towards like the Victorian age where there are more charitable groups and there are, are more more concern for the poor growing at least growing as compared to the old days there's that there's that feeling that you know it's because we have this position of privilege we we have to help people out who don't have it because it's not their fault they don't have it it's not our credit that we do have it, it we that's just the way the world is in in the meritocracy you know when you you talked about how it it, it can serve as a humiliation to anyone who doesn't achieve these 
stratospheric heights of the elite colleges and the elite jobs and and the big money and the nice zip codes. But that that also that sense of satisfaction among those who made it. Um, and we've talked about this in other podcasts about people leaving leaving where they came from to go to you know elite communities and how we sort of sort ourselves out and who's left behind. I th- I think that is part of the same thing. It's that oh I deserve this right I. Hey, I did everything they told me to. I, I worked hard in the, in high school. I worked hard in college. I worked hard at my, my job. I deserve these riches. And if you didn't get it, that's probably your fault. It's a free country, isn't it? And that's, that's an attitude I've seen on right and left um, among people who are successful. And, and sometimes they don't even realize they're doing it. And they'll, you know, especially on the left, have more of a, like a theoretical concern for the poor. But there's not the humility. There's not the the sense that i i didn't get here completely because i'm better i just got here because i have a talent that makes money in 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 a free market and those are not the same thing sometimes they are i'm glad we pay doctors a lot that's that's a good thing but i i don't know that it is a signifier of virtue that bryce harper has a big contract i'm glad he does because he plays for my favorite team but it doesn't mean that his contribution to society is more valuable than that of uh, an English teacher. It's just worth more in money. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it is intuitive for us. I think it's a, a naturalist intuition of humans is to think that the working hard is deserved of, you know, you, you, you deserve more or better or, you know, by, by working hard. And he's, so he's really pushing against that uh, intuition. And I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it, frankly, because I, I take his point that you're, you're born with physical talent or athletic talent or intellectual, you know, strength. And he, as you said, he quotes Rawls, and there's, uh, I think there's a lot with Rawls that we should we should address. We we do need to read his his book, but Rawls will argue that even your your grit and conscientiousness and hard work and your good habits, even those are gifts from the universe or from God or whatever. It comes to you. You're born with it. Those are not. That's not something that, that you develop on your own. I'm not really sure that I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly counterintuitive, but that's, uh, that's what they're going to argue. So, so they think that, uh, Sandel would say, this is the cause of why Trump supporters resent the elites, particularly the, the elites on the left so much, not because these Trump, Trump supporters rejected meritocracy, but because they, he says, because they submitted to its discipline had a, and they accepted the hard judgment it pronounced on their own merits. So they don't, they don't respond by saying, no, that's not true. We don't, be- we don't believe that you actually earned what you achieved. Instead, they internalize it and sort of accept, yeah, I guess you have. And so I guess that makes me a loser. And Sendell has... I could say tremendous empathy for these people under conditions of rampant inequality and stalled mobility. He says, reiterating the message that we are responsible for our fate and deserve what we get erodes solidarity and demoralizes those left behind 
by globalization. Insisting that a college degree is the primary route to a respectable job and a decent life creates a credentialist prejudice that undermines the dignity of work and demeans those who have not been to college. And uh, he's got this chapter four where he dives into what he calls credentialism, which is essentially like the, the more degrees you have and the more prestigious the degrees, the farther you've gone in school, the more meritorious you are. And so in a lot of ways in our society, education really is the metric by which you're judged to be meritorious or not. And I don't know about you, Kyle, but I personally have fallen into that. Sure. Right? <laughs> I, I, I think it's, it's natural to, right? I mean, we, when something gets you money, it's, it's not, or gets you attention in a positive way. It's natural to look on that thing as, as it being good in itself, you know, like, like being good looking or, or tall or strong or healthy. Um, these are all things we would want. Uh, I don't, it, none of them make us more virtuous. You know, I, if I had to choose between good health and bad, I'd choose good. Right. And I'd like to choose better education than uneducation. Cause it, it opens up more jobs for me. I, I disagree with this point that uh, about why Trump voters are the way they are, though. I don't. I think they accept this. I think they accept the idea of meritocracy. I don't think they think of themselves as having lost and feel bad about it, though. I I think they feel like the people in charge sold them out. Yeah. I, th yeah. I think it's more like, hey, you know, you said work hard and achieve. Well, I worked hard, and my job went to China anyway. Um, right. Right. I, you know, I think that's a, he talks about that a bit at the end. He talks about Aaron Cass's book, which we read back in 2019, uh, which was one of my favorites of the, of our podcast back on episode 38. Um, but it, it's that, but mostly he's, he's focusing more on the, the resentment angle. And I don't, I mean, there's some of that. I mean, I, I definitely think that like when we talked about Martin Gurry's book about how, about how the, uh, the, the collapse of 2008 and the, just the, the quagmires in our, uh, our wars in Asia and, and all of the sorts of sort of not complete collapses of, of society by any means, but just the sort of meaningless sclerosis that, that sort that sort of ineffectiveness at the top. I think that's more what galvanized people, saying, all right, well, look, we buy into meritocracy, right? Best man for the job. That's the way to do it. But are these guys the best men? Because they're screwing up everything. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, th true. I think that's that's the issue. And I, th I wish he would have kind of dug into that more because I, th I think he's missing that point that it's not just like resentment of the elites. It's not just acceptance of not being the elites. It's, it's elite failure at the top in finance, in foreign affairs, and all sorts of things that make people say... Uh, something's not right here and they don't blame meritocracy itself, I think, but they're blaming those who uh, presume to have merit. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that's right They're Yeah. They, they judge those at the top who are making these decisions as actually not deserving, not meritorious. Mm -hmm. And yet they're still reaping the rewards while the hardworking f folks, uh, the working class, they're, go to work, work hard, and they feel like they're not getting rewarded, while other people who do very little in their, at least in yeah, how they observe. I'm trying to look here. He's, he, he says, uh, 
lazy when it is one of the complaints of working class whites he says lazy urban professionals like me working desk jobs and producing nothing but ideas <laughs> <laughs> which i tell i i i, I kind of get where they're coming from of course um you and i toil with ideas as part of our jobs and i feel very fortunate to be able to do that we work pretty darn hard though <laughs> i think yeah. and people who who uh, do well, and those who are credentialed, they tend to be pretty darn hard workers, and uh, and not not there are lazy, but uh, out there. But you know, by and large, I would say the people that I associate with on a daily basis work pretty darn hard. Um, but he says, uh, so this credentialism, as we were just talking about, having more degrees or finishing school and going higher and higher in education, he says. It's problematic for a couple of reasons. First, most Americans do not have a college degree. And this comes as a surprise to a lot of folks. The fact that only about one in three American adults has graduated from a four-year college. And it's actually slightly lower than that. So not even a third of Americans, adults, are college graduates. College graduates. We're not talking about graduate school, law school, MBA, and that sort of thing. Second, a point he makes, by telling workers that their inadequate education is to blame for their troubles, meritocrats moralize success and failure and unwittingly promote credentialism. So I guess uh, I have fallen into this in times past, saying like, you know, why don't, why don't you take a class at night, you know, try to get ahead. <laughs> and, uh, and what I think what Sandel is saying is like, that should not be the measure of of success and that shouldn't be the measure of what makes someone meritorious or not. No, and it's, it shouldn't be the measure of virtue, but it does help to get ahead to do these things. Um, yeah. That's it's not a, it's not all one or all the other. And I, I think he's made, I'm glad he wrote this and, and people are thinking about this because people do take the meritocracy thing too far, especially those who like him are successful at it. And, and like, like we are too, uh, you and I, you know, we've, it, it it's easy. And he talks about the way like people talk about like poor white trash and make jokes about hillbillies and fly over country and all these yeah, things. And yeah. I think part of that's also just the intense focus on race among elites that they think, well, I can say that cause we're both white. You know, I can make fun of them. It's not offensive. Like, no, it's still offensive. It's, it's, it's a classism. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different ism, but it's still pretty hateful to talk about a group you're not in any, or at least not in anymore as though they're they're worth less or, or or not not as virtuous not as good like learn to code that whole you know sort of yeah. thing like <laughs> well hey you know if you don't want to be poor just work harder you know what i mean like that's that's something that uh, i hear that among lefties and righties at the top i mean it's it's more of a which surprises me sometimes i guess it shouldn't anymore but it's and sometimes i hear from people who came out of uh, places that are not elite, you know, to start with. So that it, I mean, part of that's also like, I got out, so can you. And yeah. I think part of it's also some people just want to get out, you know, from the, from the time they're kids, you know, and that's, we, we talked about that, like on the, what's, uh, when we had Grace on, you know, talking about that, that book, you know, some people just want to leave. And I think that means, and when you leave, you look back on where you left as something that was worth leaving. That's how we go through life. You know, the decision I made was good. 
it was bad there. It's it's better here in Brooklyn, you know. Mm-hmm. But there's that I, there is that weird um, that thing among elites that it's I guess I guess it's inevitable to equate merit with virtue to equate success with virtue. We we want that to be true, but it I think and he kind of gets into this at the end. Even if we accept that this is a good system, and I I don't see a better system than meritocracy for determining who gets into the best schools and who gets the best jobs. The best man for the job is a, is a a concept that appeals to fundamental fairness. You know, I mean, that's why we, that's why we had civil service exams. That's why we have SATs. That's why, you know, we, we try to test things on a, on a neutral basis and it's hard to make a completely neutral test, but we try and we try to get it better every time and, and make this system where it doesn't matter where you're from or what color you are or any of these things that, have nothing to do with the job itself. It just has to do with, can you do this job? Are you, are you capable? And I think meritocracy is the best of that. I think the question is, we have to be better at how we talk about it and really how we treat people who don't end up at the top of those lists. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think we're, we fail at as a nation. And I, it's partly just, that's a failure of, of market capitalism is that, that money flows in in a certain direction and with that flows prestige and you know good things in life i, th- I think the dignity of work that he, he mentions a few times that's something that uh i think sherrod brown in ohio talks about a lot it's um and he he actually of the presidents he mentions he says that clinton and trump were the ones who talked about this the most and i was surprised to hear somebody on the left say something nice about trump but it was, it was a little refreshing and he clearly is not a fan, but he's saying, you know, he talked about the dignity of work the way Bill Clinton did. That's something, it's a catchphrase in Washington sometimes, but it needs to be a real thing. We need to say to people, it is virtuous to do this job. It doesn't matter if the job is minimum wage or millions of dollars. If you're giving it your all and I mean, that's, I don't know. That's how my parents talked about it too. It's like, somebody works hard every day and does his job. You, don't look down on that man. That's that's somebody who's doing what he's supposed to do. He's living by the rules, and he should have a good life. Mm-hmm. Sandel really picks apart this phrase uh, through no fault of their own. This is something that uh, that Reagan, I guess, was one of the first to sort of use this phrase to describe folks who who deserved a, a leg up or a hand up. Those who had had fallen on hard times or had failed or whatever through no fault of their own is a, is a, I think a familiar phrase to us. And Sandell tries to pick this apart because what it was, what he thinks is people on the right are far too critical of those who don't succeed in, in the merit race, those who don't work hard. And there, there's kind of an, he doesn't come out and explicitly say this, but there's kind of an underlying agreement that he has with, 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 uh, with Rawls in that he kind of agrees that, those folks who don't work hard, they, they also are subject to their own, whatever gifts that they, or or lack of gifts that they were born with. In other words, like being a hard worker is also a gift as we talked about. And so those who don't work hard, Sandel doesn't necessarily think that they're less meritorious. And again, that's really counterintuitive for us. Yeah. I don't know about that. Again, to your point, um, the the last acceptable prejudice in American society right now is against uh, the less educated, particularly white less educated, right? Mm-hmm. 
And uh, he, he, he does push against that and says, um, he quotes these researchers who concluded that uh, through their tests that actually well-educated elites are not less biased than less educated people. It's just the target of their prejudice are different. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, less educated, maybe, maybe um, have, have more negative feelings towards disfavored groups, for, for example, versus again, it's totally acceptable in American society to make a joke about hillbillies or rednecks or so forth. But when it comes to this credentialism, I mean, this is a soft criticism that Sandel has of, of, uh, liberals. Again, he himself is very much liberal, but he has a soft criticism of liberals when it comes to credentialism, because the Democrats are far worse accepting only the, those from, from the best schools. So for example, in the, he says in the first year of Obama's presidency, a quarter of Obama's appointees had some connection whether whether alumni or faculty to Harvard, a quarter of them, Mm. and more than 90% of early appointees had advanced degrees. By the middle of Obama's second term, two-thirds of his cabinet appointees had attended an Ivy League college, and 13 out of 21 had attended either Harvard or Yale. All but three had advanced degrees. And I think this is 100% true. (laughs) I mean, you could... You could criticize, I guess, Trump's cabinet to some extent, but he he really wasn't too worried about that. And in past Republican administrations, you, you'll certainly have people with some credentials, but not like the Democratic administrations. If you look at Biden's administration now, I bet the stats are even even more stark than even Obama, because they they're they're far worse offenders when it comes to like only the brightest and the best will we take. You know, only if you went to Harvard and Yale. Oh, you know, you went to some state school, well, you know, like maybe we'll find you a job deep in an agency, you know? yeah. but, uh, it's, it's very important. And he, so he quotes from this book, uh, the brightest and the best by John Halberstam, one of the greatest books ever written. It, I, I put it in my top two or three best books of all time. It's so good, but it really lays bare. It's the story of John F. Kennedy's cabinet and the folks that were working with him who are all, you know, Harvard and Yale grads and highly credentialed. And these are the people who, who plowed us right into Vietnam, the Vietnam war. So he says for all their tech, technocratic brilliance, they led the United States into the folly of the, the Vietnam war. And I just thought that was a really good example in that I, I, I don't know about you, Kyle. I, I actually have spent a lot of time with people who are pretty darn credentialed and worked with a lot of different ones. There's a lot of really talented people out there but I'm not sure that it necessarily gives anyone any better judgment. <laughs> no, you know, I, I don't know that my, uh, schooling has, it, it's improved my ability to analyze. That's for sure. But the conclusions that people, very smart people come to are still often terrible. <laughs> so, so I, I, I really take Sandal's point here. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a problem of a, of a technocratic politics is that most of what we, are debating politically is not a matter of true or false. It's a matter of right or wrong. And so if you're looking at the facts that inform that decision, it's good to talk to experts. It's good to have these guys who have the advanced degrees and they're, you know, really top of their field and have all the credentials. If you want to know about uh, a public works project, you want the best engineers working on it. That's reasonable. But the question of, should we fund this? 
or should we fund the project in a different state? Who needs it more? That's a political question. And that's mm-hmm. one where you can't just say, well, you know, we've got a chart and we've got economists. No, that things like that are political. I mean, talking about things like the death penalty and abortion are political in the sense of right and wrong. People are going to have the same facts and come to very different conclusions. There's no technocratic answer to these things. Um, and that's that kind of government that I mean, Obama was on the campaign trail with uh, his old pal Terry McAuliffe this week down in Virginia. And maybe by the time this podcast airs, that, that race will be over. But uh, we're recording with about a week to go in that. And he was talking about how uh, all these culture war distractions, uh, that's not what's important. It's like, no. No, man, that is what that's that's what politics is. It's right. it's all of it. It's you can't just say the stuff we're losing on is unimportant, and the stuff that's really important is uh, these bills I worked on when I was governor, or whatever McAuliffe did for when he was with Bill Clinton. I, it that's that's an attitude of sort of dismissing people's concerns because they're not the concerns of those at the top of the meritocratic pyramid it's just like when people talk about income inequality and the environment like well those are those are issues for people so rich they don't have regular concerns that doesn't mean you should dismiss the other ones so i guess i guess to bring it back to this he his focus on uh, his answers involve i mean there's, there's i mean he talks about more randomization in college admissions at the top schools which is Interesting. I don't know. That might work. Um, it's it's radical. I don't know if any of them are going to try it, but it's it's an interesting idea. But as far as as work, he, he says work is both economic and cultural. It's a way of making a living and a source of social recognition and esteem. You contrast that with the message of the sort of income inequality message that's coming mostly from the left is about distributive justice. He's talking about the idea that people don't want a handout. They want to feel like they're making a real contribution to society. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. I think that's what Tim Carney talked about. And I think that's, that's what Lauren Cass talked about. And a lot of the other books we've read, it's not the problem with, with inequality is, is not that the way the income is, is distributed. It's that people feel like they're, they're being told they're worthless. This is the problem with, universal basic income and all these things they're saying your your job is not even worth doing we're just going to give you money yeah yeah get lost he's saying that's not going to make that's that's what contributes to these deaths of despair that's what contributes to these these real feelings of desolation in areas where a lot of the jobs are gone and what you're the message you're getting is you don't matter you don't have anything for us you're 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 a relic and I don't think it's true, but I mean, I, I don't think those statements tend to be true. And I, I also just, I know that they're not, not helpful in building a community or, or building a nation. Yeah. That's good thoughts. My last thought is to say he, uh, he, his quote here is if our talents are gifts for which we are indebted, whether to the genetic lottery or to God, then it is a mistake and a conceit to, cons- to assume we deserve the benefits that flow from them. Having the talents that society happens to prize is not my own doing, but a matter of good luck. And if he's right about that, I think, I think that it has serious implications for for public policy. And I mean, he has a few public or has a few policy proposals. You've named a couple. 
But I mean, if he's right, then I think the, our, our fundamental understanding of, of education is just kind of backwards. And, and certainly the, the left's strong urge and desire to level and to create equality through like leveling those who are doing well and creating uh, equality of outcome is just backward. It's, it's, I mean, even he, he, what he's arguing here is kind of a Rawlsian argument of let people do their best, but then just view it as a public good. Like the LeBron James talent is a public good that should be shared. (laughs) (laughs) So let him be as good as he can be. And then we'll redistribute like all of his earnings is essentially what, what they're getting at. And, uh, I disagree with that, um, to an incredible degree, but that at least is a, is a more palatable option than some on the left that even Sandel would criticize who want to just demand equality of, of outcome when we know that people have different strengths and that's just how it is. All right. We're way over time. That's Sandel. Join us next time.